0: Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank.
1: There was quite a long period of history in the Old Testament when God's people turned away from Him to follow other gods. He was patient and long-suffering for centuries until eventually the people became so depraved that God brought judgment upon them. The first part of the destruction took place when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. The second part of it happened in 586 when the Babylonians conquered Judah. But let's go back to the conquest of the Assyrians. A major indictment that God made against his people at that time was written in Hosea 4, 6, which reads, my people perish for lack of knowledge. What kind of knowledge did they lack? Well, of course it was knowledge of God and his word. We're blessed in this day and age to have knowledge at our fingertips, more knowledge that we could ever imagine possible. Yet, do we have the knowledge of the Lord? Do we spend time in God's word, getting to know him and understanding how he calls us to live? My guess is that most of us spend more time watching TV, reading books, or on the internet than we ever spend in God's word. I'm Debbie Blank. Today, we wanna challenge your knowledge of the Bible. We're gonna give you a quiz. We're gonna ask questions, give you a moment to see how you would answer it, and then present some modern statistics
0: before we give you the
1: biblical answer. And
0: I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Even though we have a pop quiz for you today, you'll be happy to know there'll be no papers graded or scores recorded. In fact, we want this program to be an encouragement to you today, pointing you to some practical answers as we all strive to increase what we know so that we can put that knowledge into action during these challenging times. And in these times when our faith is being challenged in so many ways, we need to build and exercise our faith muscles. Going to the Bible can be like going to the spiritual gym for a spiritual workout, because as Romans 10, 17 tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So knowing the Bible is how we can find everything we need to build and strengthen our faith. And best of all, we can draw nearer to our loving and all-powerful Father God. Oh, because of that, as we give you this quiz, we're not going to do this to make you
1: feel insecure if you don't know the answers. We simply want you to listen and think. Think of what you believe is the right answer. And then we're going to see if it matches up with the Bible or with what the world has to say. So let's start with the very first one. Does moral truth exist? Now consider, according to an Arizona Christian University poll in 2020, 52% of evangelicals say that no absolute moral truth applies to everyone all the time. 69% of Catholics say that. Now consider a Barnett statistic. By a three to one margin, adults said truth is always relative to the person and their situation. So instead of having truth, we have relativism. Well, it all depends on the situation and on what we believe. So do you believe moral truth exists? The Bible says it does. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That says all scripture is God breathed and he gives it to us so that we can know what's right and what's wrong, and then we can live by it. So there is moral truth. It's God's truth from God's word. It's not relative to what we believe or what the culture says.
0: It's based on the truth of God's word. When I was in school, there was a course called Situation Ethics that was being pushed on most of the kids in school. Whatever the situation was and whatever your truth was, then that was what was right for the moment. Well, in the Bible, we have something called the Ten Commandments. It's not called the Ten Suggestions. It's called the Ten Commandments. And we know that just by life experience, that when you live by those standards of God, life is better. And so there are moral truths. God says so
1: even though our culture has changed morality, saying that free sex is okay and abortion and homosexuality and all the different things that we have agreed to in this culture, that doesn't make it right. There's still a standard, a moral standard that God has set out, the precepts of God's word that are truth and we must stand on the truth. The second question, does the Bible adapt to our culture? Really what I'm asking is, does the Bible change with the culture? Let me give you an example. In Deuteronomy 7, God told the Israelites that when they go into the promised land, they were to kill everyone, men, women, children, everything. So does that mean when a culture takes over another culture in a war, they're to kill everybody? No. You know how we know that? Because God gives the reason why he told them to kill people. He said, when you go into the promised land, if you do not kill them, you will intermarry with them. You will follow their gods. So God was protecting the people when they went into that land so that they would not succumb to the gods and the ills and the wrong living that the people lived at that time. Instead, they would end up following God. So there was a reason God said that. Obviously, it's not a cultural thing. It was a one particular time thing. Look at Tattoos, that's something that people talk about all the time, because in Leviticus nineteen twenty-eight it says we're not to have tattoos or markings on our body or piercings. As a matter of fact, that's because in that particular time period, if you did that, you were marking yourself for a pagan God. It would be like if we accepted the mark of the beast from Revelation 13 is specifically a mark that shows that you worship the particular leader that will be in existence at that time. Well, that's what tattoos did then. A tattoo today doesn't do that. Hopefully, I mean, obviously, if you have some Satan worship on there, it does. It has a different connotation today. But does that mean that the Bible adapts to our culture? The answer is no. The Bible does not adapt to our culture because if it did, that would mean that the Bible changed. And if the Bible changed, that would mean that God changes. And yet we know from Malachi 3, 6, that God never changes. In Leviticus eighteen three, God says to the Israelites, You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt, where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You see, Egypt and Cana were the cultures of the day. And when they went there or lived there, they were not supposed to adapt to those cultures, but instead to continue to follow the word of God. That's how we are to be today.
0: If men determine and interpret the Bible based on what they like, what they are inclined to go along with, then it makes it so that we are the co-author of the Bible, and we are not the co-author of the Bible. We aren't allowed to really be what people call cafeteria Christians, where we go along the line and pick up what we want and leave behind what we don't want. We don't have the authority to cross things out of the Bible and to change them to what we'd like them to be. We're talking about knowing God's Word and knowing the context of God's Word and then following it accurately.
1: That's why 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? When we follow the ways of the world, and by the way, the culture is the way of the world because the culture changes with people. That's following the ways of the world. And we're not to do that. As a matter of fact, in Romans 12, 1, it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God knows that the world is made up of people who make decisions that are based on their own hearts. Whereas those of us who follow God and his word make decisions based on truth, based on the Bible. A lot of people tell you that as far as homosexuality goes, that's just an Old Testament thing that doesn't equate to our culture now, but God didn't change his mind. He doesn't change because if he did, we can't trust him. We don't know what God would do next if he changes his mind based on what culture decides to do.
0: Let's move on then to the third question in our quiz. In order not to be offensive to others, should I omit the name of Jesus in prayer or conversation? So looking at Matthew ten thirty-two and 33, the Bible says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before people, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. There's one answer right there. Absolutely.
1: People are offended by the name of Jesus Christ. They shouldn't be. He's our God in the Bible. He is the one who died for our sins and rose from the dead. But you see, Jesus is offensive because there's so many people now who don't believe in Jesus. We can use the name God, but we're not supposed to use the name of Jesus. That goes against what you just read in Scripture. And then if you look at John 15:16. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. We are supposed to pray in Jesus name for there's no other name under heaven by which man shall be saved except the name of Jesus. I don't want to offend other people, but Jesus said, the world hates me. So it's going to hate you we have to speak the name of jesus to be truthful about who we believe in i do not believe in the god of islam and allah i believe in jesus christ the point being is that jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith if we are ashamed to use his name in public then he'll be ashamed to use our name before his father as he said let me bring up another question and that is, since Christians, Jews, and Muslims all fall under the Abrahamic tent, do we all believe in the same God? People will tell you, yes, we do. I just quoted that verse from Acts 4.12, which is, there is no other name under heaven by which man shall be saved. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. Philippians through 11 says, at the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. It's not Muhammad is Lord. It's not Moses who's Lord. It's Jesus Christ who's Lord. You see, Christians believe in one God with Jesus Christ as our Lord and savior. Jews believe in Yahweh. They do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Muslims believe believe that Jesus was a righteous man, a prophet even, but they don't believe he was God. They do not believe that he died or rose from the dead, nor do they believe that he saved us from our sins. So you see, we all have three different beliefs about who Jesus Christ is. So therefore, since Jesus is God, Jesus is our savior. We do not
0: all believe in the same God. And even though Abraham is the father of all of those groups, if you want to go back to scripture, there was only one child of promise. And God made that very clear to Abraham that the lineage of the Messiah would be through Isaac. And so it was not to be through Ishmael or any of the other children of Abraham, but it was only through Isaac and that line that we would come to faith in the Messiah.
1: That's right. Let's move on to another one, which I heard from a friend one time. I have fallen out of love with my husband. God wants me to be happy, so I'm going to get a divorce. Is that okay? Is it okay because we've fallen out of love? I think at one time or another, most people fall out of love. There were times in our marriage where I really didn't like him very much. And I know there are times when he probably didn't like me either because of just different circumstances or tough times that we went through but that doesn't give us the right to get a divorce because we fall out of love. Love is a commitment. If we read Ephesians five, we see that the marriage commitment between the man and the woman is like the commitment of Jesus to the church. If we divorce our spouse because we don't like them or they've changed or we've changed, that's like saying that Jesus can divorce us because he's changed or because we've changed and we don't deserve his love or any kind of irrational beliefs like that. When you consider the Malachi 2.16, God says, I hate divorce. In Matthew 19, verses three through nine, Jesus talks about the divorce, and that's because the Pharisees were testing him. And he responded by saying in verse four, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, male and female, he created them. And for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, Jesus does allow for divorce in the case of sexual encounter, because if you understand that passage that I just read, when God brought man and woman together and the two became one flesh, that was a sexual union. And that is never to be stopped or taken away. If it is because of the unfaithfulness of one of the partners, then that breaks the marriage up. So he allowed for divorce for that reason. But the point being here is just because our feelings change doesn't mean our commitment does. Because if we can fall out of love with our husband, we can fall out of love with God. Because our feelings have changed, or we're mad at God, or he didn't do what I wanted him to do. Therefore, I'm just not going to follow God anymore. No, we don't follow our feelings. We follow our faith.
0: When you think of Jesus's standard, his standard is actually higher than people think that maybe Jesus would relent, you know, because he cares about your feelings. And of course he cares about your feelings. But the Lord seems to be more concerned about the building of your character than just your comfort. And so what you described in your marriage, Debbie, is I'm sure there was a lot of character built over the years between the two of you as you worked through those things. And I think what some people do is they don't know where to turn god doesn't hate divorce because he hates people who have become divorced he loves people who are going through struggles so don't ever feel like if you're divorced that the lord hates you and hates what you did but he hates the the trauma that people go through when that happens even a friendly divorce a lot of people will tell you it's still not a great thing to have to go through if you can turn to the source of marriage the one who created man and woman and put them together in marriage and turn to him through those struggles, you will build that character and he will be faithful to you.
1: I'm glad you brought that up, Jackie, because I never planned to get a divorce, but I sure thought about it when things were tough. But as you say, our characters were built for both of us. And now here we are. I couldn't be happier in my marriage. I am so blessed that I stayed in this relationship. Amazing what God will do when we follow God instead of our own feelings. Now, let me ask you another question, because this is really important. Is the Bible completely accurate or have people found some errors in it? You know, if you read the Bible, sometimes it looks like there are places where God made mistakes when he gave us his word. There are places in the Bible that looks like Jesus started out in one city and ended up in another, whereas in another passage, it was just the opposite. Well, I'm here today to tell you there are no errors in the scripture. How do we know that? We've already quoted 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. And therefore, if there were errors, that means God makes errors. And God doesn't cause errors. God doesn't make mistakes. So we know there's no error in scripture because of that. Then look at John 17.17. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Well, you can't say God's word is truth if it's not. And yet Muslims say that the Bible has been corrupted that it was actually Ishmael that Abraham tried to sacrifice rather than Isaac. Why do they say that? Because they've changed the Bible. They want the Bible to conform to their Quran. If you consider statistically, only 24% of people believe the Bible is the actual word of God and should be taken literally, according to a Barner survey in 2020. No wonder people aren't following it. Because if God's word isn't true, or if we can say that God's word isn't true, then we don't have to follow it because there's mistakes. And then it's not really a moral plumb line. We can pretty much do what we want to do. Well, folks, I'm telling you, God's word is 100% accurate. Yeah, there's things in God's word that I don't understand. I can study and study and go back to the original language. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to me. But that's when I pull up the Deuteronomy 29:29 verse that says the secret things belong to the Lord. You see, God's ways are not our ways, and we can't always understand God's mind. So there are things in scripture we don't
0: understand, but there are no errors in it. Even though we don't need these proofs because there are interior proofs within the Bible, but we do have proof through archaeology more and more every day. Everything that scientists are finding in that science seems to prove the Bible more and more all the time. It doesn't disprove it. So we have proofs through history, proofs through archaeology, proofs through science, proofs through prophecy, all of those things that can also add to the fact that, that this is a true book, this is God's Word. And there's also the power of a changed life. When you see people that get into the Bible and encounter God's Word, and they become changed, changed for the better, that's a real testament to the truth of God's Word.
1: So if God's Word is true, and God is a loving God, will God eventually forgive all people and allow them into His heaven? That's what Rob Bell says in his book, Love Wins, that he wrote in 2010. Is that true? Will everyone eventually get to heaven? And the answer is no. If we look at Romans ten nine and 10, those verses say that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That means that you must confess Jesus as Lord. So if people do not confess Jesus as Lord, they won't be saved. 1 John five eleven and 12 says it in a similar way. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. That's pretty clear. We could give you a whole slew of scripture that say we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. That's the only way we can spend eternity with God is if we believe in Jesus Christ. God is a loving God, but God is also a God of wrath. God will punish people, who do not accept him as Lord and savior. And that punishment is eternal hell. Now we're told in scriptures that God made hell for the devil and his angels. But when man sinned, unfortunately, the door to hell was open for them if they did not believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The only way to get to heaven is by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth
0: and the life. No man comes to the father, but by me. The next question, Debbie, is, is religion just a crutch for the weak? And you hear that quite often with people who are agnostic or atheists. They reject religion because it's just a crutch. It's something that will help people if they're weak. And, you know, sometimes I think that's not such a bad thing. Sometimes in life, we all need a crutch. But the Bible is far more than
1: that. Oh, so much more. As a matter of fact, Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So Paul dealt with that issue that the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God and how those of us who believe are considered foolish, but it's not weakness. It's just how the world sees it because the world has their own crutch whether it's what they want to believe, whether it's their own values, whether it's their culture, that's what they rely on to make their decisions. It's always natural for someone who's jealous or someone who doesn't understand another person to put them down. That's why people try and put us down, try and make it so that we're weak and believing scripture is weak. Now, in light of that, Let's consider people who think that if I'm a good person and work hard and take care of my family and go to church, that's what a follower of Jesus is supposed to do, right? Well, not according to Luke 14. If we're going to be a follower of Jesus, our life is supposed to be a lot different than what we're seeing. It's not just about going to church for an hour a Sunday. It's not even about praying once in a while when you need God for something. Being a follower of Jesus Christ does require us to work hard and take care of our family and go to church. But that's just one thing. A true follower of Jesus Christ is a disciple of his, and a disciple of his is willing to give up everything for Jesus. So if you are a true follower of Jesus, let me tell you what Luke 14 says. Starting in verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So in order to be Christ's disciple, we don't need to hate them as we think of hate, but we need to love them less than we love Jesus. That means we need to love our whole family and ourselves less than Jesus. Well, if we're going to love Jesus more than all that, we're going to put him first he's going to gain preeminence in our lives over and above what we want and what we want to do with our families and for our families. He goes on in verse 27, it says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is using the negative here, saying what you have to do or you can't be his disciple. And this says we need to carry our cross. What is the cross? That's sin. We need to bear our sins and ask forgiveness for our sins, give up our sins in order to be a disciple of Jesus. And then finally, and this is the tough one, in verse 33, it says, so therefore no one can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Wait a minute, I've got to give up everything I have to follow Jesus? That's what Jesus said to the rich man in the gospels. Did Jesus really want him to give up everything? No, Does he really want us to give up everything? No, that's not what he's calling us to do. At least as far as literally selling everything, and giving it away. What he wants us to do is give it all up to him. Jesus gave us everything we have. So he wants us to give it back to him and trust him with what he wants to do with it. Now, that doesn't mean that I garner everything in my house and my car and anything I own and just take it to the church. Jesus wants a heart. He wants our heart to be totally devoted to him over other people, totally guided by him instead of following our own ways, totally giving up sin and then giving up everything we have so that he can give it back to us and we'll use it for him and recognize it came from him. That's what it's called to be a follower of Jesus, not going to church Sunday morning, not being a good person, not doing good things. That's all part of being a Christian. But if we really want to be disciples of Jesus, we will follow Luke 14. So if we are hearing all these questions in our culture and yet believing different answers, why do we believe what we believe, especially if it's false? Now, my pastor just dealt with this a couple of weeks ago, and I loved what he had to say. I've added a few things to it. But one of the reasons we believe what's false is because of compromise. We just want to get along. Part of that compromise, too, is our personal desires. We want to do what we want to do. Another reason why we believe what's false is our feelings. Well, it feels right. Everyone's doing it. I need to be tolerant of others. Got to let the fact and the faith of Scripture be our guide, not our feelings. Another reason we believe what's false is it's easier to believe a simple lie than to have to change our minds with new information. So, if we're taught something as a child and we grow up with a certain belief, let's say that you have to be baptized to be saved, and it's easier to believe that than it is to change our belief when we find out the Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture tells us we should be baptized, but not to be saved. Another reason why we believe what's false is because of manipulation or repetition by the media or teachers or friends or religion even, rather than the truth. When we hear something over and over and over again, we're going to believe it. And it's really hard to change our minds unless it can be absolutely proven or unless God touches our hearts with faith. And also it's easier to follow others rather than it is seeking the truth. How many people are willing to go dig for the answers on what the Bible has to say? Most of us aren't. It's just easier to believe what we hear. So what are we going to do about this? How are we going to learn the truth? The only way to match what we're told with the Word of God is to know the Word of God. Read it. Find and get involved in a Bible teaching church. Get involved in a Bible study. Join our studies if you live in Omaha. Go watch our YouTube. Start your own Bible study with our YouTubes on our website. Get into the truth of the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God according to Hosea 4.1. The Bible has all the answers. Are you willing to read it to grow closer to Him, to know the truth? Because if you are, that truth will set you free. You will find the answers to live by, not by what the world says.